calling all lovers of mystery and fans of a good story. If you haven't already heard me talk about June's journey, you're in for a treat. It's time to don your detective hat in this free hidden object mobile game that delves into the captivating journey of June Parker, a self-proclaimed detective on a quest to unravel the mystery surrounding her sister's untimely death. In June's journey, you get to play as June, deciphering clues and unveiling secret plots within thousands of beautifully illustrated scenes. And did I mention it's set in the glitzy 1920s? New chapters are added weekly, so you will never run out of new thrills to uncover, and you can also personalize and decorate your very own Orchid Island where the story takes place. How sharp are your detective skills? Find out when you download June's Journey on your Android or iOS device, or play online via Facebook games. Your detective journey awaits. I want to take a second to tell you about a podcast I think you'll really like, Mayday. No one is prepared for disaster. No one knows exactly how they'll react in a plane crash, an earthquake, or when a lone gunman decides to open fire. On Mayday, you'll hear about the people who had to find out, people whose stories deserve to be heard. Join hosts Maya Nalani and Luke Welland as they tell you about extraordinary people who found themselves in extraordinary circumstances. Listen to Mayday wherever you get your podcasts. Realm presents The Witch Who Came In From The Cold, Season 1, Episode 5. Two. Joshua Toms was feeling conflicted. Frank wanted to see him and Gabe in his office, which could mean one of two things. Gabe was about to get another dressing down for that massive recruitment failure three nights ago, and Josh was inexplicably being called in to watch, or the university lecture they were attending in half an hour was a hell of a lot more exciting than Josh had been led to believe. Damn it, Gabe muttered from his desk. This couldn't wait until after we got back? We have plenty of time, Josh said, pushing away from his desk and grabbing his jacket from the back of his chair. Gabe stood up, pushed a hand through his hair. He didn't look like he felt well. His skin was grayish and pale, and he had a permanent band of sweat wringing his forehead. A week ago, Josh might have thought Gabe was hungover. But after what happened with Drahomir, he didn't know what to think. Yeah, wouldn't want to miss the lecture, Gabe said, sounding defeated. Josh didn't answer, just headed toward Frank's office. He didn't like the university assignments either. No one did. They were boring work, tedious, and never amounted to much. But they were part of his job, and he was going to keep sitting in on those lectures as long as Langley required it. Even if he was pretty certain, this particular assignment was a direct result of Gabe's screw-up the other night. Josh rapped on Frank's office door. Gabe slipped up beside him hanging his head and rubbing his fingers over his brow. You feeling all right? I'm fine, Gabe muttered. Come in, Frank called out, 
and Josh pushed open the door. Frank sat at his desk, half hidden behind stacks of paper. Close the door, Frank said, gesturing at the two of them to step inside. Have a seat. I know you're on lecture duty. This shouldn't take long. Josh glanced over at Gabe, who had managed to straighten himself up in Frank's presence. Not that it helped much. Josh sat down stiffly, not sure what to expect. Frank leaned back in his chair, steepled his fingers. He wasn't looking at Gabe. Maybe this wasn't about Drahomir after all. We need to talk about Ankyses, Frank said. Josh perked up, heart fluttering in his chest. There'd been whispers around the office for weeks about that name, that op. All rumors, nothing substantial. Still, Josh had let himself get his hopes up. As a junior officer, taking part in such a potentially important op would be a tremendous boost to his career. Are we on board, sir? Frank looked at him. That's the plan, Toms. Assuming you two can show me you're capable. Frank glanced over at Gabe when he said, You'll be capable, won't you? Sure thing, sir, Gabe said. Good. Frank paused, taking the two of them in. Josh perched on the edge of his seat, hungry for details. You ever heard of Maxim Sokolov? The Soviet scientist? Josh glanced over at Gabe, who leaned forward, his expression intense. The one and only. It appears he's had a change of heart regarding his political allegiances. A defector, Gabe murmured. Frank scowled. Glad to see you haven't totally lost your touch, Pritchard. Gabe flinched at that, looked away. Josh felt a momentary twinge of pity. You're right, though, Frank went on. Sakhalov will be attending a physics symposium here in Prague in a little over a month, and our office has been put in charge of Exfil. This is a big one, boys, and we don't have a lot of time to get ready. Josh forced back a gleeful smile. Finally, a chance to work on something big, something that actually mattered. Sakhalov was one of the USSR's top physicists, a man whose brilliance could be seen sparkling behind his hard eyes, even in photographs. He'd helped design the Luna 1 engine back in the 50s, and even though the US had won the space race, the stars and stripes now permanently flying on the surface of the moon, his defection would be a major coup. The op will be taking place during the symposium itself, which means we've got to clear the building. That's where you two come in. Frank waggled his finger back and forth between them. I need a full report of the Troya campus and the hotel where the symposium's taking place. I want the layout, possible points of entrances, exits, hideaways, the works. Nothing's too obvious. We need a hard plan if we're going to do this right. Josh's mind was already worrying. Maybe he could slip into the lecture halls after their assignment today. It was in a different part of Charles University from the lecture, but he looked enough like a grad student that it shouldn't arouse suspicion. I need both of you to be in this a hundred percent. Frank looked at Gabe as he spoke. You understand? Of course, sir, 
Josh said brightly. Yes, sir, said Gabe. Good. Frank was still watching Gabe, appraising him. He didn't comment on the waxen skin or the sunken eyes, though Josh knew he saw them. Frank didn't miss much. Now, you two have an assignment to get to, if I'm not mistaken. He flicked his hand toward the door. Get on with it. Sakhalov's not here yet. Gabe and Josh stood up. The students await, Josh said. Gabe didn't respond, just shuffled over to the door. Josh moved to follow him, but then Frank said, wait, and they both stopped and looked his way. Not you, Frank said to Gabe, just Tom's, he'll catch up. Gabe glanced between Frank and Josh. Right, he said, and slipped out into the hallway. Josh's heart thudded. Something else? This'll only take a minute, Frank said. He settled back into his chair, the leather creaking. Something in his countenance had changed, and Frank looked older, tired. Thanks for doing this, he said. The university assignments are bullshit, but Gabe hasn't been himself lately. The last few weeks, Frank let the sentence dangle, and he gazed over at the tiny square of gray light that was his office window. I know the man he can be. That's why I wanted something simple to get him back to fighting form. I completely understand. Josh fiddled with his coat, trying to smooth out a wrinkle. Frank watched him with that weighty gaze, and Josh dropped his hand. I don't mind the university assignments. You're one of my best officers, Frank said. You know that, right? Josh smiled. Why, thank you, sir. Frank didn't return the smile, though. He just studied Josh, his hands folded on the desk in front of him. Josh glanced around the room, wondering if Frank expected him to say something else. I saw something the other day, Frank said. Sir? Josh blinked, not certain where this conversation was going. You were talking with that little flop of a man from the mailroom. Maybe standing a little too close. Josh's cheeks burned. Bile rose up at the back of his throat. That wasn't what you think it is. Some of my correspondence got mixed up. Good, Frank interrupted. You know I like you, but Langley's not going to put up with that kind of relationship. It was just a question about correspondence. Frank leaned forward over the table, hands folded. He had figured out Josh's secret during Josh's early days, Josh knew. He had been careful, the way he was always careful. But Frank had been through a war and countless bureaucracies, and it was hard to get anything past him. It was difficult enough keeping it a secret back home. All that hush-hush spycraft against his own agency just to go on a date. And here, his sexual history was even more of a liability. I know it was. His voice was as gruff as ever, but something in his posture had loosened, suggesting a sort of fatherly affection. But I thought you could do with a reminder. After all, Ankyses could be a major career builder for you. Yes, sir. Josh said. 
Blood rushed in his ears. God, he hadn't even thought about relationships since he got here. The job was his first priority. But he'd learned to live with this kind of suspicion a long time ago. Which is why I want to make sure you're being careful out there. Frank tilted his head toward the window. I'm sure you are. But don't forget that all the successful exfils in the world aren't going to protect you if a Soviet figures out your proclivities. I know that, sir. Of course you do. Frank almost let a smile slip. I'm just telling you to be careful. Pritchard's been screwing up, and I don't need you following after him. I won't, sir. Good. Frank nodded, as if the conversation had gone the way he wanted. You better get out there before Gabe takes off without you. Of course, sir. Thank you. Frank waved a hand to dismiss him, and Josh stepped out into the fluorescent glow of the hallway. Gabe was leaning up against his desk, arms crossed, waiting for him. Already had his coat. You ready? Gabe called out. They had an assignment. And yeah, he was ready. You can shop from anywhere doing pretty much anything. You might shop while working, eating, or even listening to this podcast. And however you shop, we all know and love the thrill of the hunt. But do you also know how to get the thrill of the best deals? Because Rakuten shoppers do. With Rakuten, they get the deals they love with the most savings and cash back. And you can get it too. Start getting cash back at your favorite stores like Sephora, Nike, and even Expedia if you're looking to get some travel in. And getting cash back doesn't mean you have to miss out on sales because those can just be stacked right on top. It's easy to use and based on a simple idea. Stores pay Rakuten for sending them shoppers, and Rakuten shares the money with you as cash back through PayPal or check. Download the free Rakuten app and never miss a deal. Or go to Rakuten.com to start getting the most bang for your buck. That's R-A-K-U-T-E-N. Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it, or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Bartha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz. And how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts. Gabe settled down into the hard, molded plastic of his seat, and he stretched his and Josh's coats over the space beside him so no one would sit down next to them. The throbbing in his head had finally subsided. It usually wasn't too bad at the office. Apparently, that meant the embassy wasn't built on a ley line. 
He wondered how the boys in Langley would feel about that, that there was a secret out there they couldn't touch. Even so, all through that meeting with Frank, a sharp pain had burrowed into his temple. At least the headache hadn't incapacitated him, the way it had the night with Drahomir. Maybe that meeting with Alistair had helped him more than he thought. The lights in the auditorium dimmed. The place was only half full, and the audience was made up mostly of bright-eyed students, no one of any interest. Of course not. This was punishment. A woman walked on stage, her blonde hair shimmering in the spotlight. The audience applauded politely. Gabe slapped his hands together a couple of times. Out of the corner of his eye, he saw Josh straighten up, suddenly interested. Zarena Polnock, wife to the Soviet ambassador. Gabe had met her once or twice on the dip circuit. She always regarded him with a kind of bored languor, as if he were a TV show she couldn't bother switching off. In front of her crowd of university students, though, she glowed like the moon. She smiled brightly and said, Welcome, comrades. I am so delighted you could attend. This afternoon, the Chancellor's Lecture Series has quite a treat lined up for you. She paused for effect, her gaze spilling across the audience. Our speaker today is a distinguished academic and thoroughly charming gentleman. I've had the pleasure of dining with him several times. Another smile, this one dimmer, more understated. Here to introduce Karel Hashek's accomplishment is one of the members of the Komsomol Youth League. Please welcome Andula Zlata to the stage. More applause. A girl stepped into the spotlight, one hand clutching a crumpled sheet of notebook paper. She looked small and wan compared to Zarena, as if Zarena were sucking all the light away from her. The girl stepped up to the microphone and in a shaky voice began to describe her experiences in Professor Hasek's medieval history class. Gabe wished he could just go to sleep. The girl finished, the audience applauded, and Karel Hasek stepped on stage and made a joke that elicited a few strains of awkward laughter from the students. Gabe tuned him out. He knew what to expect at a lecture like this the usual filtered-down Marxist nonsense about the glory of the proletariat, although in this case Gabe suspected it would be given some kind of medievalist glaze. Peasants instead of the proletariat, then. He wasn't here to learn, only to observe. And so, as Hasek spoke, Gabe scanned the students sitting in the dark room. A few of them tilted their heads together and whispered, occasionally shooting quick glances across the room at a compatriot. Nothing. Not a goddamn thing. Really, what did Frank expect? Gabe leaned into Josh. See anything interesting? He murmured. Josh shook his head. Nothing. You? Nope. Gabe straightened up in his chair. Hashek was still talking. Zarena and the student, Angela, Aneta, he'd already forgotten. Christ, he should probably ask Alistair about that. 
sat behind him on the stage, watching intently. Gabe checked his watch. Another 20 minutes, then the reception. A few rows in front of him, a figure slipped into the theater. A woman going by her silhouette. Some latecomer. But then she stepped into a shaft of light spilling in through an open door, and Gabe recognized her with a sharp jolt of surprise. Tatiana Morozova. She wasn't a student. She was in the files back at the office. She was KGB. Undeclared, of course, but her name and photo were printed in the booklet of suspected officers Gabe studied in his downtime. She'd attended university in Moscow, had a well-connected family. Officially, she had some job at the Soviet embassy, a political secretary, if he remembered correctly. Morozova stepped into the shadows again, then draped herself in a chair near the aisle. Was the KGB interested in Hashek for some reason? Had this bullshit assignment turned out to mean something after all? Gabe watched Morozova out of the corner of his eye, careful that she didn't see him staring. Hashek sounded like he was coming to the end of his speech. He'd already built up to a crescendo of Marxist fervor a few minutes ago, as he'd described the violent transition to capitalism, and now they were on the downward slope. Gabe flicked his glance over at Morozova again. She sat straight up in her seat, watching the stage. And that is why students such as yourself are so important, said Hashek with a quiver in his voice. Because only the youth can lead us away from the mistakes of our past. Thank you. Applause rang out in the auditorium. Gabe nudged Josh. I might have something. Before Josh could say anything, Zarena took the podium again, and she beamed out at the audience and invited them to join Professor Hashek for a reception in the lobby. Hashek himself stood off to the side, his hands clasped behind his back, looking down thoughtfully at his feet. And the student, the girl who had announced him, she was still sitting in her seat, staring out at the audience, toward the part of the theater where Morozova was sitting. In the glare of the spotlight, the student's expression wasn't right. She looked frightened, maybe. Anxious. Were the KGB here for her? Not Hashek? Or was it just stage fright? More applause scattered around the auditorium. People shifted in their seats and began to stand and move toward the aisle. Morozova stayed put. What was that student's name? Gabe's skin prickled. The one up on stage. Josh peered at him. What are you seeing? Did you catch her name or not? Uh, yeah. It was Lata. Andula Zlata. Andula Zlata. The name meant nothing to Gabe. On the stage, Zarena gestured toward the girl and then said something, and the girl stood up and moved toward her. Professor Hashek gave her a warm smile. Together, the three of them walked off stage. As soon as they vanished into the wings, Morozova stood up and walked toward the lobby doors. The reception. Gabe grabbed his coat. Now. 
Come on, Gabe, just tell me what you've got. Josh was already sliding out of his chair. I don't know yet. They left their seats and made their way into the lobby. Cold gray light poured in through the windows, saturating the colors of everything. The students' clothes, the paintings on the wall. People milled around, their voices low and sparkling. He scanned the room, froze. There was Morozova, standing in the corner, sipping a glass of wine, pretending to admire one of the paintings. Some lurid landscape, everything cast in dull golds and browns. A peal of familiar twinkling laughter cascaded across the room. Serena. Gabe turned toward her, as did half the faces at the reception. She was leading Hashek toward the temporary bar, and Andula trailed behind them, her skin pale and her eyes shadowed. It was the student. Gabe was sure of it. So what's your theory here? Josh's voice was low and close to Gabe's ear. Something with Hashek? He nodded at Serena and Hashek sipping their wine. Not Hashek, the girl, Andula. Gabe stepped away before Josh could answer. He was determined not to lose sight of her. Another student, dark-haired and bespectacled, had walked up to her and was trying his hardest to have a conversation. Andula tilted her head toward him and nodded, but her eyes bounced around the room. She fidgeted with the hem of her sweater. And then she went very still, and the color drained from her face. The dark-haired boy kept chattering as if he hadn't noticed. Gabe was close enough that he could catch fragments of the conversation. Something about a mutual mathematics course. Excuse me, Andula said suddenly, too loudly. And then she strode away from the boy, leaving him looking vaguely stunned. Gabe grabbed a glass of wine from the bar and whirled around, taking a long drink as he scanned over the rim of his glass. There. She was cutting a clear path to where Morozova stood beside the painting. Morozova straightened at Andula's approach, her expression calm and professional. Gabe maneuvered around the room, sticking to the perimeter, hoping he could blend in with the knots of students. He caught sight of Josh frowning at him. No matter, he'd explain in a minute. Morozova was talking to the girl, her body angled away from the party, her head tilted down. The girl shook her head, glanced over her shoulder. Christ, she looked terrified. And for a moment, Gabe went cold all over, afraid that Morozova had spotted him. But no, the girl wasn't looking his way. Wasn't looking at Josh either. She turned back to Morozova, ran her fingers over her hair. Morozova leaned into her, looking for a moment almost concerned, almost maternal. She put one hand on Andula's arm. Andula shook it away. Gabriel Pritchard. Gabe closed his eyes, took a deep breath. God damn it, not now. My, my, my. I'd no idea you were so fascinated by Prague's history. Zarena slid up beside him, her chin lifted, 
the ends of her mouth teasing at a smile. Gabe forced himself to smile back. Zarena, he sighed. You're looking as lovely as ever this afternoon. She laughed, hard and glittering and fake, and reached out one hand, a slim silver bangle shining on her wrist. Surely you'd like to meet our speaker, Professor Hasek? Karel, darling, come over here for a moment. Gabe ground his teeth together. He didn't dare glance over at Morozova and Andula, not when Zarena was so close. Hasek stepped up beside Zarena, who put her hand on his shoulder. Her nails were as sharp as her cheekbones. Karel, did you know you had an American in your audience? She bared her teeth like an angry cat. Gabe imagined it was supposed to be a smile. An American, Hasek spoke in English. Tell me, did you enjoy the lecture, Mr. Pritchard, Gabe said. And then in Czech, really, Czech is fine. An American who bothered to learn Czech, and you speak it so well. Isn't that the curiosity? I'm sure you'll find Gabriel to be an exquisite curiosity. Zarena's nails flashed. And I'm sure he would be delighted to discuss some of the points from the lecture. Wouldn't you, Mr. Pritchard? There was that angry cat smile again. Gabe returned it with the most neutrally pleasant expression he could muster. Absolutely, he said, looking at Zarena. Then he turned to Hasek. Unfortunately, I told my friend I'd meet with him, and I'd hate to leave him alone. He glanced around the room and found Josh ambling through the crowd, a drink in one hand. And there he is now. Thank you, Professor Hasek. The lecture was fascinating. Zarena, it was a pleasure, as always. Zarena stared at him, sharp and cold and full of harsh white light, like a diamond. As always, Mr. Pritchett. Gabe slipped away from them and headed toward Josh. His eyes, though, darted in the opposite direction, toward the corner where he'd last seen Morozova and Andula. It was empty. Tanya and Andula stepped out onto a narrow, enclosed courtyard tucked around the side of the building. Icy wind gusted over the walls, blowing Andula's hair into her face. Tanya walked quickly around the edge of the courtyard, her boots crunching on the old snow. No one was out here. They were alone. Good. What are you doing at the lecture? Andula cried. I told you I didn't want anything to do with this. Tanya whirled around to face her. Andula stood on the opposite side of the courtyard, her hands tucked under her arms, her coat flapping around her knees. She shivered. Maybe because of the cold. Maybe not. Tanya remembered what Andula had told her at their meeting in the park about her sister's disappearance during the Prague Spring. I'm trying to keep you safe, Tanya said. How did you even know I would be here today? Angela said. Have you been following me? Tanya sighed. Angela watched her warily, and when Tanya took a step toward her, Angela took a step back. Tanya considered her options. Right now, 
she decided it would be better not to lie. Too much. I'm not here as KGB, she said slowly. But I still have KGB methods at my disposal. Andula's face went pale. I told you, Tanya said. I'm here to protect you. Yes, the ice has been watching you, but only because the flame want to grab you for themselves. And you thought the flame would be here? At the university? At Professor Hoshek's lecture? Andula glanced around the courtyard, fearful. Is one of those things coming after me again? Tanya reached into her pocket and fingered the charm she had tucked away there. She and Nadia had created it from the scraps of the construct that came after Andala. It was designed to send out a pulse if the construct's creators were nearby. It had been still during the lecture, but Tanya did not want to take any chances. I don't know. Tanya walked over to Andala, and this time, the girl didn't step away. We seem to be safe right now. So there's still a chance they'll come after me. There's a very big chance. Tanya paused, took in Andela's frightened expression. You mustn't underestimate the flame. Their name is appropriate. They want to use you to burn this world down. It was starting to snow. Delicate flakes drifting down from the gray sky. Andela looked away from Tanya and stared across the courtyard. Tanya didn't push her. She thought of the advice from her grandfather's construct. When the time is right, then we will act. But when was the time ever right? This moment, in this courtyard, everything quiet and muffled by the snow, why couldn't this be the right time? The flame was watching Andela too, and they weren't going to wait. And then there were those Americans at the lecture. Tanya had noticed the one, tall, broad-shouldered, bland-faced, so quintessentially how Americans pictured themselves, watching her at the reception, sliding through the crowd with his wine glass like that could disguise him. He might be flame, but she doubted it. He was far more interested in her than he had been in Andula. Why? Andula whispered, still staring up at the sky. Why did this happen to me? We are born into the places in which we're born, Tanya said. Some things cannot be changed. Andula's shoulders hitched. For a moment, Tanya was afraid she was crying. But when Andula looked away from the snow, her eyes were dry. I don't want this, she said. You tell me the flame wants to use me. Why should I believe you? She stared at Tanya. How do I know this? This ice doesn't want to use me up too. Tanya kept her voice neutral. A fair question. Andala watched her, waiting. The ice wants the world to stay as it is. Even with all its imperfections, this is our world. Or reality. Why should we change that? We have no need to use you the way the flame would. 
We only want to protect you. That's all. Andula toyed with a button on her coat, twisting it on its threads. The snow swirled around them. It was falling more thickly now. She seemed close to accepting, closer than she had the night in the park. Maybe the time was right after all. Maybe she just needed that one extra push. There was a man at the lecture, Tanya said. An American. Did you see him? Andula dropped her hand away from her coat button. What? An American? Are they flame too? Some of them. Tanya glanced out at the empty courtyard, filling up with snow. This one? I don't think so. But he was CIA. He came to the lecture. He sat in the audience, and you didn't even see him there. The wind whipped Andula's hair in front of her face. What are you saying? I'm saying you cannot protect yourself, Tanya said. I'm saying that if you want to be safe, you need the protection of the ice. This American didn't attract your notice, and he didn't even have magic on his side. Tanya hoped this was true. Angela's eyes were wide with fear. She shook her head. No, she whispered. No, I don't believe you. Damn it. Her grandfather was right after all. Tanya had pushed too much, too soon. You saw those constructs, Tanya said. You saw what they are capable of. We can keep you safe. I didn't ask for this, Angela shrieked, her voice cracking through the frozen air. My whole life, I've been good. I've been loyal to the party. I've served my country. This isn't fair. This has nothing to do with politics, Tanya said quietly. Then why did you tell me a CIA man is following me? He's not following you, I think. I was only trying to show you that there are layers to this world. Layers you haven't been trained to see. And let me guess, you'll train me, Andula said in a mocking sing-song. In some labor camp, yes? To keep me safe? Just like the STB wanted to keep my sister safe? That is not what this is about. There are no ice labor camps. Tanya knew she had lost control of the situation. Andula's face was red, her eyes bright. The falling snow confused things, like they were talking through static. Listen to me. If you don't want to come with me now, there are ways to contact us if you change your mind. We won't approach you again until you contact us first. Andula shook her head. Tanya grabbed her by the shoulder and looked her straight in the eye. Andula was terrified. Tanya could see it, could sense it. She should have listened to her grandfather. She should have waited. We're watching you. Yes, she said, but only to keep you safe from the flame. If you change your mind, place a lit candle in your window. I thought you were with the ice. Andula snapped. Not the flame. Tanya sighed. 
It's not an ice trick. There's no magic in it. She let go of Andula's shoulders and took a step back. I hope you change your mind, Andula Zlata. Andula watched her through the snow, her eyes brimming with fear. A lit candle, Tanya said. It's all you need to call us to your aid. Andula didn't move, and for a moment, Tanya felt a flicker of hope that she was relenting. But then she turned and stalked out of the courtyard, leaving Tanya alone in the cold and the snow. You're listening to The Witch Who Came In From The Cold, created and produced by Realm, your portal to another world. Listen away. Every five minutes, a transplant candidate dies while waiting for a compatible heart, liver, or kidney. Imagine a technology that could provide those life-saving transplant organs for a high price, and imagine what a company would do to monopolize that technology. On a remote island in Lake Superior, a team of geneticists unlocks this holy grail of medicine by reverse engineering the genomes of all mammals, creating an animal with organs perfectly suitable for human transplantation. They envisioned a docile herd animal, but one team member had another, darker vision. This ancestor is anything but docile. The team's work spawns something big, something evil, something very, very hungry. Ancestor is a complete serialized fiction podcast by number one New York Times bestselling novelist Scott Sigler with all episodes available. Binge the entire story now on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. The Witch Who Came In From The Cold is created by Max Gladstone and written by Max Gladstone, Lindsay Smith, Cassandra Rose Clark, Ian Tregellis, and Michael Swanwick. Performed by Christine Lakin and John Glushevich. Directed by Dennis Keo. Produced by Julian Yap and Marco Palmieri. Associate Producers Corey Barton and Devin Shepard. Executive Produced by Molly Barton. Audio Production by Literati Audio. Audio Editing by Evan Arnett and Fred Koch. Mixing and Mastering by Jeremy Wesley. Original Music by Katherine Anderson. Find more shows like The Witch Who Came In From The Cold by following Realm on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or at realm.fm.